This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse. I am really excited about today's heartbeat. You know, as an emergency physician, it's pretty rare that I come across a medical topic that is completely new to me and I honestly know nothing about. So this episode is absolutely fascinating for me. Now, we've heard from Dr. Nick Gorton before in Don't Be a Jerk, our episode on transgender care, and in the heartbeat, LGBTQIMD. So Nick is back today to discuss acute and chronic silicone syndrome. Never heard of it? Me neither. Nick explains. Transgender women, and it's not exclusively transgender women. You see this sometimes, in, especially in Latina women, will use silicone injections to enhance their body. It used to be a lot more common, partially because transgender patients couldn't get access to surgical care. So they needed these procedures. They couldn't get them done safely. They couldn't afford it. Their insurance wouldn't pay for it. So they did it themselves. And what it involves is taking just silicone that you get from Home Depot, not medical grade, not sterile, and injecting it oftentimes in breasts, hips, buttocks, sometimes in the face as a means to make yourself appear more feminine. As you might imagine, injecting non-sterile silicone into soft tissue can cause some serious problems. Nick describes two potential complications, acute and chronic silicone syndromes. Let's start with acute silicone syndrome. Early on, usually in the first 24 hours, but almost always in the first 72 hours after injection, the silicone can embolize, and it typically does one of two patterns, either it's mostly pulmonary symptoms or pulmonary and neuro. The thing is, when patients have this, they don't come in and say, hey, I just freely injected silicone and now I'm having all these symptoms. So they come in with shortness of breath, chest pain, hypoxia. They may have a low-grade fever. Um, you look at their chest x-ray and it's just fluffed out. It looks like bad pneumonia or ARDS. And if they haven't shared with you that it's silicone, they're probably going to die because you don't know how to treat it because it's a big inflammatory process and the treatment is high-dose steroids, like a gram of methylprednisolone a day. If you recognize that, you will save their life. Transgender patients don't like to come to the ER, but they may come for this. When people are injecting silicone, it's not they're not self-harming, they're not suicidal. They're trying to provide surgery for themselves, Right. And so they don't want to die. And if they think this is happening, they're going to come in. Even if they come in early and they don't look that sick, put them in the ICU because they're going to end up there. So if a transgender woman comes in and you're going to kind of know that because a lot of trans women don't pass or in some way you're going to get that in your history, ask about that. And guess what? If she can't talk to you and she's that out of it, assume that. I had never heard of this syndrome before. I really hope I haven't seen a patient with it and missed it. But how do we differentiate acute silicone syndrome from, say, PE or pneumonia? What does a CT scan look like? Usually, you're going to find fine pulmonary arteries, though there probably is a tendency towards hypercoagulability in general in this state, but then also in transgender women because they're taking high-dose estrogen. Um, so you're always allowed to have two diagnoses, too. But usually, the pulmonary arteries are clear. And it looks sort of like an ARDS picture. One of the clues that you might find is there's a lot of hilar and axillary lymphadenopathy. And in fact, if you cut those lymph nodes up, there's silicone in there too. 
really probably the closest thing that this resembles is fat emboli. You know, if you go down the symptoms and the frequency of symptoms, it's very similar. But I mean, you see this chest x-ray with a big fluffy infiltrate on both sides. That could be fat emboli, silicone emboli, it could be ARDS, it could be bilateral pneumonia. So there's a pretty broad differential. You know, obviously you're going to give antibiotics too, because this could be pneumonia, but you start high-dose steroids and almost all the pulmonary-only patients will survive. They're going to be in the ICU for a while, but they'll survive. The pulmonary neuro patients are probably not going to survive. Um, you still treat them, you still try, but but that's usually not a survivable thing because a shower of emboli to your brain is not conducive to long-term survival. The other thing too is of the ones who have mostly pulmonary symptoms, the patients who do die, die from reactivation of tuberculosis because this is a population that has a lot of risk factors for TB. And if you give somebody who's got latent TB high-dose steroids, they're probably going to have active TB. So if there's any question of that, start them on TB treatment and send a quantifuron. And if it's negative in two days, great. You can DC the TB meds. Okay. So silicone emboli cause these life-threatening conditions. And even with proper treatment, patients may die from the emboli themselves or from reactivation of infections like tuberculosis. Luckily, Nick says acute silicone syndrome is relatively rare. What is more common, however, is chronic silicone syndrome. Basically, it's an immune-mediated response that's very similar to sarcoid or tuberculosis. So there's high levels of uh, TNF-alpha. And the patients look like cellulitis. They really do, because it's red, it's hot, it's warm, it's painful. Um, and it's the skin overlying where they've injected the silicone. And very commonly, these patients are treated with uh, antibiotics. You actually should give doxycycline because doxycycline helps a lot for that. Um, so you should start them in the ER, but prednisone is the drug of choice. When you do put people on doxycycline, they should be on it long-term because that actually, not for the antibiotic effect, but for the immune modulating effect, doxycycline is, is my go-to drug uh, to keep people with the chronic silicone syndrome uh, suppressed. And it, it's magic for some patients. So chronic silicone syndrome can look just like cellulitis. How many of us have missed this diagnosis because we didn't even know it exists or because we didn't ask the right questions? I'm afraid my own ignorance may have prevented me from appropriately treating some of my patients. But now that we are aware of this condition, let's be sure we know how to treat it. What I do is, is I'll give them a short steroid burst, like seven days is fine, and then doxy 100 milligrams twice daily, and then maybe... Six months into it, once they've gotten really suppressed, and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic, then we'll go down to 100 once a day, give them another six months. If nothing worse happens, you can take it down to 50. I don't take people off of 50. I'm like, you're just on this for life, which daily antibiotics aren't great, but people have a lot of problems with this. I mean, it, it can be really painful, and especially people who've had it injected into their buttocks. I mean, there's some of these women that can't sit. They can lay down. They can stand up. They can't sit because it hurts too much, right? So that's a, that's a small price to pay. So Nick and other transgender care providers have developed a pamphlet about acute and chronic silicone syndromes. It has information for both patients and providers, and they encourage their patients who inject silicone to keep it in their pocket. It's true harm reduction. It says, don't do this, but if you're going to do it, do it this way. You know, for, for example, one of the things is don't inject as much volume each time because Higher volume increases the risk of acute silicone syndrome, right? And look, do the same thing we do. Withdraw on the plunger first. Because if you're in a vessel, you really don't want to inject silicone. 
transgender patients don't like to come to the ER, but hopefully they come because they have our pamphlet and they're going to bring that pamphlet and show it to you and give you the diagnosis so you can look really smart to the hospitalist that you figured this out. The thing is, patients will actually come in sooner if they know about this. You can find this pamphlet on the Project Health Transline website, which, as you might recall, is an amazing resource for medical professionals. If you have a question about caring for a transgender patient, you can submit it and get a response within two business days. You'll find links for Transline and the pamphlet in our show notes. And if you find out that your patient injects silicone, even if it's unrelated to their ED visit that day, I encourage you to print out that pamphlet. If you print that out and hand it to a patient in the ER, you have made their day. And in fact, you're going to make it so trans people in the community come to your ER more because she's going to tell people. I mean, we we talk. We talk a lot, right? And we talk really badly about people who do trans care poorly. But if they figure out, oh, this hospital's, you know, this hospital has skill in this area. One of the providers are really nice to me. They'll be back, you know, so, so doing the, you know, just getting things right one time multiplies its effect. I want to thank Dr. Nick Gordon for speaking with us on this issue and for opening my eyes to two new conditions that I should now be able to diagnose and treat appropriately. Here's what you need to remember. Acute silicone syndrome is caused by silicone emboli and can present with pulmonary or neurologic symptoms. Treat with high-dose steroids, one gram of methylprednisolone a day, and admit these patients to the ICU even if they are well-appearing. The diagnosis may be unclear, so you should also treat with antibiotics and consider starting TB treatment in high-risk patients to prevent reactivation. Remember that many transgender women are also on hormone therapy, putting them at risk for PE, so consider anticoagulating these patients as well. Chronic silicone syndrome is a long-term complication of silicone injections caused by a local inflammatory reaction and often mimics cellulitis. Treat with a 7-day steroid burst as well as doxycycline for its immune-modulating effects. If you have a patient who injects silicone, download the pamphlet from Transline for both yourself and your patient and encourage them to keep it on them. Thanks again for listening and supporting us. If you like what you hear, please rate us. It helps our message reach more people. And as always, we invite you to continue this discussion on social media at Impulse Podcast or on our website, ucdavisem.com. Thanks to the Department of Emergency Medicine at UC Davis for supporting diversity and important content like today's episode and to OM Productions for amazing audio expertise. Catch you next time.